Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Much of what the police do right now are things that social workers can do, things that case managers can do, things that other governmental workers can do. And that's why our movement is calling to defund them. Welcome to Deconstructed. I'm Mehdi Hassan. When you see week after week police officers beating unarmed protesters, reporters, passers-by, an elderly man with cancer, in broad daylight, on camera, you have to ask, what is the solution? Surely reforming the police isn't enough. Defunding the police means that we're actually resourcing communities with access to health care, access to adequate public education, and access to jobs. That's my guest today, Patrice Cullors, co-founder of Black Lives Matter and Reform LA Jails. So, is it time to defund the police? And how would that even work? Last Saturday, I watched a video of one of the most remarkable scenes involving an elected politician and their constituents that I've witnessed in my adult lifetime. Jacob Fry, mayor of Minneapolis, the city where it all kicked off, where George Floyd was so brutally killed by the police. Jacob Fry, a young liberal Democrat, former civil rights lawyer, turned up to join a protest against police brutality and show solidarity with his black constituents. But it didn't go so well for him when he was asked in front of the entire crowd by the organisers whether he was willing to go beyond the usual platitudes about police reform. Jacob Fry, we have a yes or no question for you. Yes or no, will you commit to defunding Minneapolis Police Department? What did I say? We don't want no more police. Is that clear? We don't want people with guns toting around in our community, shooting us down. You have an answer? It is a yes or a no. It is a yes or a no. Will you defund the Minneapolis Police Department? All right, be quiet, y'all. Be quiet, because it's it's, it's important that we actually hear this. It's important that we hear this, because if y'all don't know, he's up for re-election next year. And if he says no, guess what the f*** we gonna do next year? Talk about a walk of shame. Now, you might say, well, What does that achieve? Yeah, they booed and humiliated the mayor, a white Democrat, but they can't actually get politicians to do what they want. These protesters are all talk. They're all protest. Um, not quite. At least not this time. The very next day on Sunday, 
nine members of the Minneapolis City Council, a veto-proof majority, by the way, pledged to dismantle the police department, saying it was beyond reform. Some breaking news coming in tonight. The Minneapolis City Council has announced their intent to disband the police department. That's right, Tom. Our commitment is to end our city's toxic relationship with the Minneapolis Police Department. To end policing as we know it. Minneapolis City Council members admit they don't have the answers about what a police-free future looks like. They have said they want to defund police and invest in things like juvenile crime prevention programs and rely more on social workers and call Calling 311 versus 911. It's a big move. It's massive. The Minneapolis City Councillors, though, offered no details on how they're going to defund, dismantle, disband, and presumably replace the police in their city. And so, one of the things I want to explore with my guest today is what it means to dismantle a police department practically. What it means to call for the defunding of the police. A call we're now hearing more and more, and not just from Black Lives Matter protesters in the streets, but even on the op-ed pages of the New York Times. Less than two weeks ago, this was the headline in the Times opinion section. No more money for the police, with the subhead redirected to emergency response programmes that don't kill black people. Here, here. The amount of money that is spent on policing in this country is stunning. Just astonishing. $115 billion nationwide. It's tripled over the past 40 years, even as crime has fallen. The New York Police Department, the NYPD, whose finest we've seen beating innocent unarmed New Yorkers on the streets in recent weeks, on camera, on tape, has the biggest police budget in the country. $6 billion, which is more than the city's departments of health, homeless services, youth services and employment services combined. Combined. It's bigger than the World Health Organization's budget, bigger than the GDP of 50 countries around the world. Defunding that budget shouldn't be a priority for those of us who give a damn about social justice, racial equality, human rights. Really? And defunding doesn't mean you just shut everything down and cut them all off. Abolish the police doesn't mean you just get rid of it and leave behind no replacement. Camden, New Jersey used to be one of the most violent cities in the US. In 2012, the city dissolved its corrupt police department and replaced it with a new community-oriented model and lots of new personnel. Listen to the former Camden County Police Chief Scott Thompson speaking on MSNBC. In 2012, uh, every member of the Camden City Police Department, including myself, was fired. I was a police officer 20 years, been a police chief for five. Myself and everyone else had to fill out a 50-page application, interview the whole nine yards. Uh, we were all new employees. We started over. Uh, we created a new police force. We created a police force where the philosophy was going to be the empowerment of the community before enforcement of the law. We would bring on every member of the organization, and we, we wanted them to identify more as a member of the Peace Corps than being a special forces operator and that we would reclaim these city streets in a manner in which we were empowering the people so that they would be able to reclaim it, as opposed to us militarizing the neighborhoods and thereby polarizing the community even further. And guess what happened? Murders fell by more than 70%. Violent crimes in Camden fell by more than 40%. It's not just former police chiefs like Scott Thompson making the case, by the way. On Monday, San Francisco Police Chief Bill Scott said he was, quote, open to the idea of defunding the police. The police chief himself. Still, let's be honest, it's going to be an uphill battle 
to get people behind the idea of defunding, let alone abolishing the police, if such a thing is even possible nationwide. Polls suggest that big majorities of Americans support protests against police brutality and believe police forces need to change. But only a minority of Americans want to cut police budgets. Then you've got the white nationalist in the White House, who is, of course, on record encouraging police to be violent. When you see these thugs being thrown into the back of a paddy wagon, you just see them thrown in, rough. I said, please don't be too nice. Like when you guys put somebody in the car and you're protecting their head, you know, the way you put their hand over. Like, don't hit their head and they've just killed somebody, don't hit their head. I said, you can take the hand away, okay? This week, Trump was quick to jump to the defense of the police and against a crazy left-wing radical idea of defunding. There won't be defunding, there won't be uh, dismantling of our police, and uh, there's not going to be any disbanding of our police. Our police have been letting us uh, live in peace, and we want to make sure we don't have any bad actors in there. And sometimes you'll see some horrible things like we witnessed recently, but Uh, 99, I say 99.9, but let's go with 99% of them are great, great people. Then there's the Democratic presidential candidate, Joe Biden, speaking to Nora O'Donnell on CBS News this week. Do you support defunding the police? No, I don't support defunding the police. To be fair to Biden, though, he was also very explicit in that interview on the issue of systemic police racism. Do you believe there is systemic racism in law enforcement? Absolutely. But it's not just in law enforcement, it's across the board. It's in housing, it's in education, it's in everything we do. It's real, it's genuine, it's serious. And look, despite Biden's awful record on criminal justice issues, he now has a criminal justice reform agenda that is far, far superior to anything on offer from Trump and the Republicans that contains many good ideas and decent policy proposals for restraining the police and holding them accountable. So it's a start. But it doesn't go far enough. Like so many liberals, Biden still seems unwilling, unable even, to take the kind of radical steps that this radical, historic moment demands. He needs to be pushed even more. And, you know, some of this stuff shouldn't even be considered that radical. What Americans often call radical is just normal to the rest of the world. For example, universal health care. It's not a radical idea outside of the United States. I'd say the same thing about policing. I'm from the UK, a country with a very similar political culture to the US, many similarities between the two countries. The UK that's been governed by conservatives for the majority of the past hundred years. And yet the police in the UK tend to be unarmed. Almost all the UK police don't carry weapons. In 2018, US police shot dead more than a thousand people. UK police shot dead three people. It's not just the UK. Ireland, Iceland, Norway, New Zealand all have unarmed police forces. Now, I'm not saying that US police officers should all give up their weapons overnight, especially in a country as heavily armed, as full of guns as this one. But my point is that we need to understand that it is possible to do policing in a different way. There are international examples of better practice. Hell, as I mentioned earlier, there are local examples of better practice. For example, Camden, New Jersey. But there is this ongoing failure of imagination among liberals and on parts of the left too, encouraged by cynical conservatives who say big change, radical change, so-called, is unrealistic, is impossible. The irony is 
that events are proving them wrong. Events are moving fast. Just 12 weeks ago, the architect of New York's racist stop-and-frisk policing policy was polling second nationwide in the race for the Democratic presidential nomination. Can you imagine that today? Michael Bloomberg as a potential Democratic frontrunner? Ha! Things change. So don't let people tell you that justice can't be done, that change can't come, that the status quo must persist. Things can change, will change, have to change. They are changing. The question is, how far can change go? And what can you and I do to make sure we keep pushing, we keep fighting for a new vision, a new way of policing, a new system of justice? I'm reminded of that old quote often misattributed to Gandhi, but which seems very appropriate for the political moment we're in right now. First, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. Then you win. My guest today is a fighter, a long-standing campaigner for social justice and human rights, and the co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Patrice Cullors is also the founder of Reform LA Jails and author of the acclaimed book, When They Call You a Terrorist, a Black Lives Matter memoir. She joins me now from LA. Patrice, thanks for joining me on Deconstructed. Let's get straight to it. What does defund the police mean in practice in the real world? Uh, defunding the police means that we're actually resourcing um, communities like black poor communities with um, access to healthcare, access to adequate public education and access um, to jobs. Um, much of what the police do right now are things that social workers can do, things that case managers can do, uh, things that um, other governmental workers can do. And that's why our movement is calling to defund them. Is there a difference, Patrice, between defunding the police and abolishing the police? Because we've heard both slogans in recent weeks, and sometimes they sound interchangeable, but sometimes they don't. Sure. Some people believe in the defund demand because it means that we'll keep police um, at some capacity. And some people believe that the defund demand is our pathway towards abolition. So they are two different demands, um, depending on your uh, philosophies. I'm an abolitionist, so I believe that the first step to abolition is defunding both the police system, but also the carceral system, which is the system that has created mass incarceration. Uh, so a lot of liberals listening to this will say, we're totally on board with the idea that the police are out of control, that institutional racism is a problem, but defunding the police, abolishing the police, those are steps too far. We want reform. What do you say to them? What's wrong with police reform? Well, what I say to people is um, when we say defunding the police, we're not saying stop having people be accountable to issues of harm and violence. This is not a conversation about lack of accountability. This is a conversation about building in a new system of accountability, one that is based on an economy of care over an economy of punishment. Right now, we have a system that is punitive, that is based on punishing human beings, and that is cruel and evil. Um, the system that we're asking for is a compassionate, a loving system, and that is able to still hold people accountable for harm that they cause. That is um, totally in alignment with people who believe in defunding and also with people who believe in abolition. But reform, you believe the police, you have to go beyond reform, reform's not enough, reform doesn't work. What's your position on quote-unquote reform? 
I think it depends on the kind of reform. Um, when I talk about reform, I'm thinking about non-reformist reform, which is my work um, is about decreasing the police's ability to be in contact with Black people. And so whatever demands that I'm making or the organizations that I work um, with are making is always about how do we lessen the uh, burden of police on Black communities. So a reform can be a reform like body cameras. Um, does that change the structural violence and racism inside of um, uh, police departments? No, actually, it has not changed it at all. Instead, body cameras are just showing us more and more um, the dysfunctionality of policing. And so um, the other reform that we're calling for, because defunding the police isn't a reform, but it's a reform that isn't giving the police state more money. Hmm. The immediate response from a lot of people in recent days, including people of color, to this idea of defunding or even abolishing the police is what happens if I'm in trouble? What happens if I'm facing a violent or dangerous person? Who do I call? Um, uh, hopefully we can build new institutions that people can have a new place to call. Um, if it's 911, then um, hopefully if someone's in a mental health crisis, you can call 911. And instead of them sending a police officer who may kill the person who's in that mental health crisis, you call someone like a caseworker or a psychiatrist who's mm. um, been trained to de-escalate an issue. The problem is um, oftentimes when police do show up, more violence happens. It doesn't make it less violent when the police are involved. And that's very important for people to understand. No, I totally get that. And your example of the mental health uh, situation is a very good one. But then, of course, there are always the extreme examples that are used uh, to make the other side of the argument. So if you're in an armed robbery, you're an, you're an owner of a gas station and people are with men with guns are trying to rob you. You want armed police to turn up and protect you, don't you? It depends. Um, once again, um, we've seen uh, many of examples where people have been armed and uh, there's been on video where other people have de-escalated them. Um, an eye for an eye is not actually a, a true response if we're trying to get harm reduction. What we've seen uh, across neighborhoods um, in places where there's a significant amount of harm and violence is when you have policing as the only answer, it creates more harm and violence. And so the answer um, is really in institutions that are based in community um, care, institutions that are working with the community to try to deal with the violence instead of um, use the police to cause more violence. I think the other thing is we have a myth about what the police do. Hmm. So I think it's important for listeners to understand None of us understand what a beat cut does because what we watch on TV is that they solve murders and rapes. Violent crime is only one to five percent. So what a beat cut does is mostly about um, uh, dealing with poverty. That's what a beat cop does. And I think it's really, really important that we start to um, investigate how we understand policing um, and the propaganda that we've been um you know, shove down our throats around policing. 
So you're making the case uh, for doing this very eloquently in terms of describing the status quo being broken. Uh, in Minneapolis, uh, they've said that they want to disband the police department, uh, come up with something better, reimagine it. But they haven't really said what it is that they're going to do. They've admitted it can't be done overnight. It's going to take a year. Now, many people would say the devil is in the detail. Saying defund the police or abolish the police, that's easy. Doing it, executing that vision is much harder. Would you concede that? Yes, it is. It's much harder because every single institution we are a part of uses law enforcement. Our schools, our public schools, our public hospitals, our public parks, um, every single institution relies on law enforcement. And so it means that we have to reimagine entirely new systems. The good news is, is there are many people across this country and the world who have been thinking about this for a very long time. They have ideas about what those new systems can be. They've tried it in small, um, they've beta tested it in small areas and small neighborhoods. So it's not like people have to learn from scratch. It's just not popular. This is the first time in modern history where abolitionism and this concept of defunding the police is a popular moment. I often think about what it must have felt like when Black folks were abolishing slavery and they finally got the word that they were moving towards abolition. I mean, that's the moment that we're in and it's very powerful. Are you comparing the police to slave owners though? Many, many people would say that's a, that's a comparison that's not fair. No, I'm comparing the police to patrols, slave patrols, which is what they were originally. They were um, uh, created so they could go um, catch uh, enslaved Africans who were uh, fleeing for freedom. That's the role of the police. That's the role that they've always played. So they weren't the slave owners, but they worked on behalf of them. That's a very good point. You're in L.A. where Democratic Mayor Eric Garcetti has agreed to cut the LAPD budget by $100 million, I think, and and divert some of that money towards communities of colour. Do steps like that, incremental steps, modest steps, do they count, in your view, towards defunding the police? Or is it all or nothing, in your view? It has to look like Minneapolis or like Camden, New Jersey. No, um, it's an important step, but it is a far cry from what we've asked for. LAPD's budget is $3 billion. $150 million is um, nothing. So we need to continue to cut at that budget. And I think it's incredibly important that we remember that $150 million um, doesn't mean that the budget isn't still more than half of the city budget. So you talked about your asks and the progress. You're a co-founder of Black Lives Matter. Um, There's been a remarkable change in public attitudes driven by Black Lives Matter protesters and others over the years. I was just looking at the polling after Ferguson in 2014. Um, the number, the proportion of Republicans who said the killing of unarmed African-American men by the police was a reflection of broader problems with the police. That's doubled from 19% in 2014 to 47%, almost half of Republicans today. Across all Americans, it's a massive 69% who say there are broader problems with the police's treatment of black men. Th- do those numbers surprise you, shock you? I mean, I'm sure they make you happy, but how how surprised are you at the the change we're seeing? Is it quick enough for you? I'm pretty surprised, actually. Um, Grateful, um, but yes, surprised. I feel like we remember being called terrorists and remember people believing it across the country and across the globe. And so to see that shift is profound and it means that whatever we have been doing, it's working. 
I mean, we even saw in recent days Republican senator and former Republican presidential candidate Mitt Romney joining the protests in D.C. saying, quote, Black Lives Matter, saying those three dirty words uh, for the right. Um, Is that an indication of a political shift on the right or is, as usual, Mitt Romney an outlier? I think it's both. I think there is a deep desire to challenge um, our current uh, president. I think we're in a political moment where um, people want to align around getting Trump out of office. And um, in a strange twist of events, Black Lives Matter happens to be the ultimate equalizer. (laughs) And I never would have thought we'd be here. So you have Mitt Romney marching uh, for Black Lives Matter. You have polling showing Americans are changing attitudes. There's not a majority on board for defund the police yet, but there is a majority on board saying the police, something has to be done about the police, which itself is remarkable. Then you have Joe Biden, the Democratic presidential candidate, saying this week very clearly that on the one hand, he does not support defunding the police. He wants to increase funding. On the other hand, he does accept there is systemic racism in the police and that has to be tackled, which I would argue is a big thing for him to say, given he's the architect of the 1994 crime bill. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, so much of what we're trying to do in this moment is get Trump out of office and hold Biden accountable to the needs of our movement. Um, We knew that it was going to be hard for the Democratic Party to get on board for defund the police, but it still feels incredibly important to push and challenge them, given that they have, you know, for a long time milked the black vote and have been complicit in our death and, you know, our brutalization. So um, the hope is that we can push this candidate and also the entire party. And the Biden campaign says they want to increase funding for community policing initiatives. They say they want to have money to pay for body cameras for more cops on the beat. Do they have a point? Is that fair? I think that's an old um, demand. Uh, The idea of body cameras and community policing. I think um, those suggestions are unhelpful. Um, And, you know, like I said, the hope is that we could push him and his campaign to really look at the concept of defunding and what we're actually talking about. But you would accept, I assume, and based on what you're saying about the need to get Trump out, you agree that despite Biden's horrific criminal justice record, um, what he's offering in this election is far superior in terms of police reform and criminal justice reform than a second term Trump presidency where basically they want to use law enforcement to go after Antifa and black protesters and give white nationalists a pass. Absolutely. It's not just Biden, though, is it, Patrice? Uh, It's not just white politicians. Uh, On Wednesday on MSNBC, uh, Congressman Jim Clyburn, highest ranking black member of Congress, uh, was saying people who talk about defunding the police are sloganeering. They're hijacking the protests. He said, we want the police. We need the police. Um, It's not just an ideological divide on the left or in the Democratic Party. There seems to be a pretty big generational divide among black Americans, doesn't there? And we saw that in the presidential primaries, too. Yeah, I think that um, so much of what um, millennials and Gen Zers have experienced is uh, heinous and terrible violence at the hands of law enforcement. And we have called on um, Black electeds in particular to, you know, challenge policing and to show up for a younger generation of Black lives who want to see a new system. At the end of the day, um, what we're asking for are more jobs, uh, more access to healthcare, 
adequate public education, mental health care, uh, adequate access to healthy food. And we have to realize that budgets are finite. Uh, we can't have um, hundreds of thousands, I mean, millions and billions of dollars towards policing and also millions and billions of dollars towards healthcare. Something has to give. And what we've seen is we've, uh, we've, we've stripped away the entire social welfare state, both at the local level, the state level, and the national level. And it's time for, you know, both parties to come to grips and to provide the kind of, um, healthy living that people in this country deserve. For you, Patrice, I know this is very personal. One of the reasons you say you co-founded Black Lives Matter is because of the abuse uh, your brother received at the hands of the police and then in prison. Uh, did you, did your brother ever think you'd see a moment like this one, a national uprising? Are you, is he optimistic about the future, I wonder? We both are, you know, every every moment of victory that we have had, whether it was the yes on our victory where we were able to pass the law, you know, that changed uh, here in Los Angeles County to stopping the jails, to getting civilian oversight of the sheriff's department to this moment where we're finally talking about defunding and abolition. Both of him, him and I are always like, wow, this is powerful. This is amazing. Um, and, and, and it makes us really hopeful. And to someone who's listening, who says, what can I do uh, to take part in this struggle to help push back against institutional racism, which seems so vast, it seems so unstoppable, it seems so much part of America's DNA in so many ways. Uh, what advice would you give to a listener who wants to know what they can do? Uh, number one, start looking up this conversation. Um, read about defunding and abolition. Uh, Miriam Kaba is someone who talks about it a lot. Angela Davis uh, has talked about it a lot. Alex Vitali, Kelly Lytle Hernandez. Those are four um, amazing thought leaders around this concept of defunding and abolition. And number two, support your local organizations who are doing work, especially Black-led organizations. It's been powerful to see um, so many people lifting up Black leadership and Black orgs. And number three, um, check your privilege. Um, no matter what it is, check your ideas and your privilege and try to have um, imagine just for a moment what communities actually need um, versus the propaganda that we've been fed about what the police do for us. Patrice Cullis, thank you so much for joining us on Deconstructed. Keep fighting the good fight. Thank you. That's our show. Deconstructed is a production of First Look Media and The Intercept. Our producer is Zach Young. The show was mixed by Brian Pugh. Our theme music was composed by Bart Warshaw. Betsy Reed is The Intercept's editor-in-chief. And I'm Mehdi Hassan. You can follow me on Twitter at Mehdi R. Hassan. If you haven't already, please do subscribe to the show so you can hear it every week. Go to theintercept.com forward slash deconstructed to subscribe from your podcast platform of choice, iPhone, Android, whatever. If you're subscribed already, please do leave us a rating or review. It helps new people find the show. And if you want to give us feedback, email us at podcasts at theintercept.com. Thanks so much. See you next week. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. 
$45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.